Good morning and Happy New Year. Hopefully you're enjoying the couple of days of winter we get down here. You already you got your jackets on, your sweaters out, all of that. So your eyes aren't going bad. The screen is blurry. It's not about you, but I noticed some of you wear glasses. Some of you probably have contacts or you've had LASIK. I do wear contacts, so some of you, maybe you've seen me on a, a lazy early morning. You've seen me with glasses and didn't know how to wear them. I am basically blind without my contacts or glasses. I'm like right there. And uh, not too long ago, actually, I was had that moment that I've heard about from others that have trailed this path a little bit further along than me, that I looked at my iPhone and I could not read it clearly. And I thought maybe my kids had changed the settings or not, and so I was doing this whole thing, and the next thing I know, I was doing the whole trumpet deal, and I don't play the trumpet, and so I had to go to the eye doctor and say, hey, I think they've changed things. And so, needless to say, I get to see far and near with all kinds of different opportunities I'm there. So vision is important. I don't know about you, but the first time, I was about fourth grade, and um, I went outside, and I had my glasses, and they were ugly. You know, you get your first glasses, and they're always, they're never cool. And so I go outside, but I got them. But the cool thing was I could actually see the details on the trees. I could see the details of the flowers. There were things that, over time, that I had lost and just didn't know that I couldn't even see things extremely clearly. So that was one of the first things I shouted. I was like, wow, I can actually see stuff. And so my daughter has been blessed with my eyes. And so when we took her to the eye doctor not too long ago, she came out, and that's the first thing she said, is I can see things. For the first time in a long time, you don't even realize it. And so um, I did. I was blessed in eighth grade to get contacts because I was a quarterback. And the coach asked me one day, Chris, how do you know where you're throwing? And I was like, the only reason I know is because I know the pattern. I can tell the color. And that was not a good sign. So he, the coach called my mom and said, listen, you need to get our quarterback contacts. And so I've had contacts ever since then. Clarity of vision is extremely important. This morning I want us to talk about this for the next couple of weeks. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah 1 and chapter 2 and looking at what is vision, how do you get vision, and what does it mean for us whenever opposition comes? How do you hold strong to the vision that God, that you feel like God has called you to? So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. And we'll look at chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we'll, we're going to cover a lot of verses in a hurry. So I may talk faster than normal today. So if I do, then put on your fast hearing aids and let things speed up and, and take notes so you can follow along with me. So a little bit of the background of Nehemiah is this, is this is... Nehemiah is during the time of um, the Israelites have been gone away, so captivity and they're away. And so Jerusalem and the nation of Judah is in disrepair. And so a few hundred years before the book of Nehemiah, King Cyrus the Great allowed an edict and began to allow some Jews to go back to Judah, just a little bit, just a few of them. So there's this slow moving back. The people that had been, had been sent away now are in captivity, now are allowing to go back and but they're not quite doing, not quite building, quite getting back up to, to snuff where they need to be. And so Nehemiah is here. He's the king's cupbearer. And to be the king's cupbearer is a very important job. So he's the one that would taste the food, that would drink the, drink the wine and make sure that if he doesn't die, then it's good for the king. So you can imagine that's not a very exciting job, that food wasn't something he was probably excited about. Every time food was brought in front of him, it was a life or death situation but how much he was trusted by the king to put your life at the disposal of the king to taste food and to drink wine before it's given to him is of great trust. And so here Nehemiah is, and um, 
So people are beginning to go back to captivity, and Judah is beginning to be built up, and Nehemiah is here in the king, in the kingdom, and he gets a story. His brother and some friends come to the castle where he's at and begin to tell him a little bit about what's happening in Judah. So let's catch up with the story right there. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. And again, I'm going to read fast. We'll stop and make some notes, so follow along quickly. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Now this is during the winter, so it's November, December of about 8 uh, BCE, 456. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I'd asked them about the Jews, so his cousins, his aunts, his uncles, an extended family. I'd asked about them who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. If you want to know more about that, you can turn over to to Ezra chapter 1 and chapter 2 and read Ezra and you can see some of the story of what's going on. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem had been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, why is that important? Because we don't build a a gate, we don't build a a wall around the grange to keep people in or to keep people out. But for Jerusalem, for Judah, for the Jews, this is an important thing. It was national identity. And so back in those days, cities were protected by walls, and they did have gates. And you could only enter through one or two gates, and those gates were heavily guarded. And so to come in or to come out, you had had to have permission to enter this place. And so it was your national identity. And for the Jews, not only Judah, but the city of Jerusalem, the the walls that protected it, protected their national identity. They had an army. They had their own language. And they, this is their place in Jerusalem where they worship. For them, this is where God resided. And so when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed and they were sent to captivity, everything that they knew, everything they understood about themselves, their whole identity was destroyed. And now they're in captivity. And slowly they're beginning to get back. But listen, whenever you are broken and hurt and in pain and your identity has been stolen, you don't just grab it back real soon. If you've been hurt and you go back to the situation, you think everybody thinks, hey, this should just, you should just go back to normal. Every any of you been there? It just doesn't go back to normal, does it? And so here the Jews are beginning to slowly get back into this place that they've called home and they're trying to gather their spiritual identity. And so I imagine there were ups and downs. There were days that they were rah, rah, rah. There were days they were probably struggling with depression, struggling with how can we gather enough energy and enough strength to put another brick, another layer around this wall so that we can protect ourselves. It's just easier for people to come in and run over us. So things aren't going well. Look at verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, I prayed to the God of heaven. Stop. When is the last time something has broke your heart? To the point that it disrupts your activity, that it disrupts your your mindset, disrupts what you're doing, that it totally changes your outlook, it changes your disposition because you're so broken over sin, you're so broken over a situation that you can't do anything but to, to think about that and you have to stop and you can't eat, you can't, you can't do anything but to truly just 
stop and say, listen, God, I am so broken over this that I need to spend some time with you. There's situations around the world that are going on that many of us need to hear about them so that our hearts can be broken. Do you understand that there is more slaves today than there's ever been before? Do you know that? There are more slaves today than ever before. Men, women, boys and girls are being sold into slavery, into sexual slavery, at a higher rate than ever before. You know why? Because of this wonderful thing called the Internet brought us something that streamed into our houses at great magnitude. And it's probably one of the unspoken things in church, and it's called pornography. And because of that, we're seeing an increase in slavery. And so children are being enslaved around the world, literally stolen from different places so that people's needs can be met. What are the things that grieve your heart? As followers of Jesus, there should be things in life that break our hearts, that we're not seeing the justice of God played out. And what can we do? How can we get involved in those situations to make a difference? Verse 5, Then I, Nehemiah, said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Here he's doing one of the things that all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament is that the beginning of prayers is one of adoration. Of God, I recognize who you are. That you're the King of kings, you're the Lord of lords, you're the great God. And in those moments of, of starting off prayer by saying, God, I adore you and I give thanks to you, in those moments you bow down and realize that he's God and I'm not. That he's King of kings and I'm not. That he's Lord of lords, and I'm not. And so here Nehemiah is beginning that way and saying, God, I'm so grieved. I'm calling out to you, the one who is God, who is great, and who has a covenant with us. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see the praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess. For there's nothing else that we can do when we come into the room, when we come into the presence of a holy God, and we begin to adore Him and begin to profess who He truly is, there's nothing else that we can do than to confess. Because when we come into the presence of holiness, our unholiness is magnified. And so here even Nehemiah saying, God, I love you, I praise you, you are the King of kings, and let me confess. Let me confess. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly. By not obeying the commands decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you were unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations, which has happened. The captivity, they've been sent. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you were exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O oh Lord, please hear my prayer. One of the beautiful things about prayer is that as we kind of spend that time with Him and begin to confess who He is, and through that confession, then all of a sudden our heartbeat begins to align with His heartbeat, and we begin to ask for things. 
that line up with his desires for us. And God's desire all along, even when he sent him into exile, his desire was to bring his children back into his arms, but to understand that discipline hurts. There's going to be a moment where Hannah and Jonathan are going to have to discipline Sparrow. And she's cute right now, right? But when that moment comes that they have to discipline, they're going to have that thought of, man, this does hurt me more than it hurts her. Because as a father, the disappointment, the hurt, and what it means for us in that moment to discipline, but to understand that if we don't discipline at the right time for the right things, that we're going to end up with children that we don't want to be around. And so God the Father disciplines in the right time, at the right way, in the right situations, even if it means sending his children to their room without their toys so that they can think about it and recognize that there is a good, good Father who loves us and at the right moment will call us out of the room and say, listen, do you understand what you did? Do you understand the choices that you're making? Do you understand the consequences for the decisions that you're making? Because a good Father does the right thing at the right time even when it's hard. Because our children need that. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. And you know what? My kids still call to me through the door. Don't they? Dad! What? Cannot? No. Right? I'm still listening. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. What are you? Where's God placed you? You're not the cupbearer. Okay? But you have a position, a unique position, a unique place where God has placed you that only you can be, and you have the ear of someone. And so whenever God grieves your heart about something and places you in a place, he's got you in the place at the right time, at the right moment, to ask those things whenever you have the audience of the king. Here in a moment, Nehemiah is about to have the audience of the king. And so he's prepared. He understands he's in a unique situation, and he's grieved by something, and he's preparing himself. God, in that moment, you've placed me here. You've placed me as a missionary at school. You've placed me as a missionary at work. You've placed me in this moment, and you've grieved me over something. When I have that chance to speak, Give me the courage to speak. Because you understand, Nehemiah could die in that moment. When he made this request, he fully understood, hey, done. Over. And most of us, that's not going to happen when we make a request. But Nehemiah, at great cost, did this in chapter 2. Early in the spring, after a couple of months, in the month of Nisan, They had cars back then. During the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king as wine. I had never before it appeared sad. This is a deep depression. A depression that that overwhelmed his disposition so that whenever he came before the king, that it was no matter even if he smiled, that the king could read through the smile and say, there is something wrong with you. 
because they've been in a relationship together. They've been spending time together. And so he's like, listen, Nehemiah, what is wrong with you? I know that you're serving me. I know that you're smiling. I know that you're kind of pretending you've got your mask on. What is wrong with you? And so Nehemiah, with great fear, so the king asked me, where are you looking sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And this is kind of one of those duh moments. He said, then I was terrified. Terrified. Listen, fear cannot rule us. If God has called us to do something in that moment when you've got to take that step out of faith, fear cannot rule us. You've got to stop in that moment and say, listen, if God has called me to this and he's kind of pushing me to this place and he's gotten me in the right place at the right time and he's wanting me to do this, then in that moment of fear saying, listen, God, you have got this. That's the difference between fear and faith. Many of us, we stand on the precipice of taking and doing great things for what God wants us to do, but we never step out because we're afraid of what might happen, what might somebody think of us, that we might fail. God says, listen, as my children, I may even send you into exile, but even that is not failure. Fear cannot overwhelm us. Then I was terrified. Here's one of those big butt syndromes that's good. But I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, Well, how can I help you? How can I help you? You imagine the fear built up, the anticipation, the the anxiety that's built up saying, Hey, listen, king. I have a desire to go back and take care of my place. And imagine what he's thinking, and all of a sudden the king goes, how can I help you? I've had this happen to me time and time again. In those moments when you have a big ask, and you sit before someone that can, can answer and can fulfill that ask, and you sit before them, all the fear, all the anxiety, all the, everything that's up to that moment, as if it depends upon me, right, and asking it the same way, understanding that God has prepared the heart of the king, has prepared the heart of the person that you're going to be making the ask of, and here he says, how can I help you? And with a quick prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, And if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? Remember, he's a trusted servant. This isn't someone he can just give up. And after I told him how long I would be gone, he was gone almost 15 years, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, So sometimes God asks us to ask, and we just ask for part of it. We don't ask for the full thing. Nehemiah understood, okay, now I have permission, which is good, but now I need the resources to be able to do it. It doesn't do me any good to to show up to the city of Jerusalem and say, hey, guys, rah, 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 let's build something. And everybody looks around and goes, how are we going to build it? Well, here it is. I said to the king, if it pleases him, let me have letters addressed to the governor's of the province west of the Euphrates River, so Samaria and Transjordan, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, introducing him to me to give me timber. And I will need it to make the helms for the gates and for the temple fortress and the city walls and for a house for myself. He's asking for a lot of lumber. 
And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God on me. And then when I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. And the king, I should add, just a little side note, had sent along an army of officers and horsemen to protect me. So the king, the one who had the the ability to answer, not only did he give what he asked, he gave him more than what he'd asked for because he understood even just sending a letter wasn't going to be enough. But when he came with the king's army, he was coming as if he was the king. Listen, God has placed you guys in some great places of ministry. And he wants you to do some incredible things. Just make the request. And he's not only going to just do it, he's going to provide everything you need and even more than you need to do the task that he's asked of you. Here's the hard part. This is when most of us throw up our hands and give up. But when Soundballot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, there were Sumerians and Transjordans, they're Persians, Official heard of my arrival. They were very displeased. Why? Because they understood that if anybody could rebuild the wall, it was Nehemiah. People had come before to try to rebuild it, but nobody had come in the name of the king, with the resources of the king, with the army of the king, with the power of the king. No one had ever come before like that. And so Sanballat and Tobiah understood the wall was going to be rebuilt. Which meant the guys that had been running the roost, the guys that had been invading, the guys that had been bickering, the guys that had been hurling insults and all the different things about those people in the city of Jerusalem, that was going to end. And so their power reign was over. And so any time that God's vision comes into a place and goes into a place and there are those that have run the show, that have had power, all of a sudden when power is gone, they begin to get mad and angry. And that's what you're going to see for the next few chapters. There's going to be anger, even from inside. There's going to be opposition from those. When the work gets hard, they're going to go, listen, it's hot, it's cold. We don't have the right tools. We don't have whatever. And and there's fighting from the outside. And so you've got fighting from the inside and fighting from the outside. And so Nehemiah is constantly saying, listen, God's called us to do this. Here's the vision. Here's the road. One brick at a time. One brick at a time. Keep laying it down. Stay consistent with what God's called us to do. It's not glorious work, but the end, there is glory for God. And yes, it's going to cost us something. Yes, some of us are going to die along the way. Yes, some of us are going to leave and we're going to go somewhere else because we're not happy. Whatever that is, God is saying, listen, this is where I want you to go and it's going to cost. And if the king's resources are there, go do it. Opposition will come, but opposition doesn't mean that it's necessarily the wrong thing. Many times I've learned that it's the right thing. But it comes at great cost. And so if you know, if you know, if you know that God's called you to do it and you're following His vision, and opposition comes, whether that's at work, whether that's at home, whether that's at school, whether that's in a relationship, If you're doing what you believe God has called you to do and you're for sure, 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 grieve, pray, fast, and ask for God's provisions because you need God's provisions when opposition comes. Because there are going to be moments, as you can see even through Nehemiah, there are going to be moments when it's dark, but just a little bit of light is all you need. But with glasses that God provides, 
you can see clearly the goal. You can see clearly the destination. Even when all the other chaos is going on, you can see this is where I'm going. For us as followers of Jesus, to keep our eyes upon the cross, there's going to be distractions, there's going to be things for us that easily will turn our eyes this way or our head this way and things that will keep us. But if we're following and looking after the cross and pursuing that, we can keep going one step at a time, one brick at a time, no matter where the opposition comes from. Put on his goggles. I pray over the next few weeks we're going to be talking about vision. We're talking about what I feel like, believe that God's calling us to do, and some things are going to be different. Some things are not going to be different. And, uh, but we're going to go. And, um, and I, here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. I understand that there's going to be some opposition. And when I moved here, my family, we took a big change. I know everybody's like, man, some, some things have changed. Some things have changed. I understand. But I, so far, I've made the biggest change. I, okay? And, and the reason that we believe as a family that God's called us here is because this was the place where God has placed us here in this moment at the right time. Because when I drove up, I was like, God, I don't have any idea what you're doing. Because this is unlike any other place that I've ever served or been before. But as I've gotten to know people and to hear people's stories and to see what God is doing in different people's lives, it's like this perfect centrifuge and greenhouse for doing something phenomenal. Not because of me, but in spite of me, but just a place where we can just unleash people to do what God has called them to do. And to see something radically change in the Fayette County. Almost 30,000 people now live in Fayette County and... 90% 90% do not attend a church. As we look around, there's a couple empty seats here. That means we know someone that can be here with us, moving. Listen, I know Jonathan at First Baptist, great guy. I don't want any of his people. I told him. He's like, I do not want any of your people to go from your place to this place. Because I'm not swapping sheep. I don't want people from the Methodist church. I don't want people from the Presbyterian church. Listen, if they come, that's great. But we're still going to ask them, do you know Jesus? Because I know that there are a lot of people that go to different churches around here, even in here, that do not know Jesus. And so we're about saying, do you know Jesus? If you want to know Jesus and grow with him, what we're asking here is, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus at Second Baptist Church of LaGrange? Because our desire is to reach LaGrange, reach Fayette County, reach Lee County, reach Bastrop County. Sorry, I dream big. Okay? So one of the things that you will know about me that my wife and I struggle with is I am never satisfied. And that's good and bad. And so there are moments, even the leadership team has said, whoa, whoa. Hold back. So I'm excited because of who God has placed here in this midst that have been waiting to be freed to do ministry, to be unleashed to what God's called them to do. Let's pray together.
Father, you are a great and mighty God. We adore you as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Holy of holies, the mighty one, the great fortress. Your names and your character is unmatchable, unlimited. And Father, I confess that none of us in this room match up. None of us in this room are perfect. None of us in this room will ever arrive. But Father, we believe that you equip us. You make great masterpieces and you place those masterpieces in the right place at the right time to do exactly why you've placed us there. You've called us to specific things. And Father, it is easy for us to be fearful whether that's at school, whether that's at work, whether that's taking a step to do ministry in the community, whatever that is. For each one of us, we have those places of fear where we've kind of held up, but we know that you're calling us. Our hearts are grieved over it, but we maybe don't even know what to do because we haven't prayed enough about it. But Father, I just I pray that, that you would break our hearts and allow us to grieve over our city. That maybe some of us, we just need to climb the water tower at LaGrange And we just need to stay up there harnessed in until we begin to weep over it. Because we don't see the brokenness. We don't see the hopelessness. We don't see those that are not only financially broke, but that are spiritually broke. And then we walk past people that have money falling out of their wallets and we think they've got it together all the while. We can't see the deep agony and sadness in their hearts because we're focused on the green and not on their hearts. So, Father God, as we're over these next few weeks kind of just talking about what it means for us at Second to make disciples and to be creating disciples in your name, it's it's you. We're just trying to join you where you're at, what you're doing. Father God, there's a moment of fear for all of us. The first step, but this also steps along the way that a month in, three months in, in a year maybe, whatever it is, there's going to be some opposition to what specific individual people are doing in ministry and in life where you've called them to be faithful and there's going to be opposition. I pray that they would still stand strong and that fear would not take hold, that they would not listen to the lies, but would believe the truth that you are God and that you've called them to what you've called them to. Father, for our desire here, I know those in this room, their desire is to bring glory and honor to you and to not quit working for the kingdom until every single soul in this room, every single soul in this city, and every single soul in Fayette County knows you. And Father, we got work to do. Grieve our hearts. Take us to where we need to go. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.